This morning's reading is from Luke 19, 11 through 27. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to them, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little and you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew what, that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Thanks, Sarah, for the reading of God's word. Good morning. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really glad that you are with us. And this morning is our last Sunday in our series titled Parables, Stories That Jesus Told. Uh, next week, as Timothy mentioned at the beginning of our service, is our Christmas Eve service, uh, which is Saturday night, a traditional kind of lessons and carol service that I hope you'll come and invite people to from 5.30 to 6.30 and then Christmas morning falling on a Sunday we'll have a Christmas day service from 10 to 10.45 and I hope you'll join and invite people to come with you to those two services. In January 8th our plan is to begin a new series in First and Second Samuel, the Old Testament, looking and studying the life of David, the shepherd king. And I'm excited about the series. I'm excited about what God has for us in 2017. And so I hope you'll come back in January uh, and look at the life of David with us. But we're finishing parables this morning. And the point of Jesus telling parables was to tell small stories that pointed to the larger story of God's kingdom. Uh, earlier this fall, Timothy and I preached our Renew series, the vision and mission of our church. We, we felt like we needed to clarify who we are as a church in our third year, and then we purposefully planned to follow that up with stories that Jesus told to clarify his mission and his vision of his kingdom. This morning is a great parable, a great story to end on. It was one of the last stories that Jesus told before he would go to the cross, pointing us to his kingdom. So here Jesus was telling this parable, the royal son of God born in a manger, now heading to Jerusalem where he would be betrayed, mocked, crucified. This royal king Jesus would enter to the far country of death, 
But death would not be the last word. Jesus would resurrect and He would secure His kingdom, promising that He would return a second time, not in a manger, but on a white horse in complete victory. That sounds a little familiar to this parable, doesn't it? A nobleman, royalty, enters a far country, receives a kingdom, and this nobleman turned king would return. See, this parable is about how we, those who follow Christ, the servants of God, are to live in this world. How we are to wait for our king to return. How we should live, or in other words, what is our purpose? What is our purpose in life? You ever wrestled with that question? What's my life to be about? What's my purpose? If I were to ask you right now to write down in one sentence, what's your purpose? Could you do it? And how would it differ from the person to your left or to your right? Let it be specific to who you are. What's your purpose? Do you wake up each morning knowing that your life has purpose? Now, I used to spend some time on a treadmill uh, and I would run. Now I prefer running outside, but I would run on a treadmill. Uh, now I'll occasionally, when I run, I'll run past the, from our house, past the downtown YMCA, and I'd, I'll look in the windows and see people walking and running on the treadmill. Uh, and, and they're, I think, trying to have a good time on the treadmill. But uh, do you know the, the original purpose of the treadmill was designed to be punishment for prisoners? That prisoners would be placed on a treadmill with a steep angle made to walk uphill all day long with progressing nowhere. Complete exhaustion with no movement. It was an instrument of punishment. Our lives can often feel like a treadmill. Are we going anywhere? Are we making a difference? What's our purpose? I mean, this is why I think people hit the midlife crisis. Right? Age 30, 40, 50, wherever you hit it, you begin to reflect on your life and you ask the question, what am I doing here? What's my purpose? Some people buy motorcycles. Some people pick up a new hobby. Some take a trip. Well, in 1982, Larry Walters was a truck driver in Los Angeles, California. Larry was in his mid-30s and he, I think, was hitting his midlife crisis a little early. And he would spend his Saturdays sitting in his back, backyard in his lawn chair. And he would sit in his backyard in his lawn chair, living close to LAX airport where every house looked at the same, every house with the same chain link fence, and he would wonder what his life was about. He would sit there and he would drink a six-pack of beer every Saturday staring into his neighbor's backyards. One day, Larry had an idea. He said, I'm going to get balloons. I'm going to attach them to my lawn chair and I'm going to rise up about 40 to 50 feet over my neighbors and I'm going to watch my neighborhood. So as a truck driver, Larry didn't know how many balloons to get, so he got 45 weather balloons, filled them with helium, made himself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, got his BB gun because his plan was to shoot out a balloon if he got too high. So he got ready, sat in his lawn chair, BB gun in his lap, sandwich, ready to eat. His neighbors released the balloons, and Larry shot up to 16,000 feet. No time to grab his BB gun, gripping on for dear life to his chair. And a captain of, the, of a DC-10 airplane passed by Larry, called air traffic control, and said, I think I just saw a man in his lawn chair <laughs> up in the air. Well, LAX diverted traffic for hours. True story. 
until they were finally able to get Larry down safely. And Larry landed safely. And he was swarmed by news crews, fire trucks. I mean, every, the whole city of L.A. surrounding Larry. And one cameraman comes up to him and says, Larry, were you scared? He's, yep. <laughs> yep. And the next cameraman says, Larry, why would you do such a thing? And Larry, and Larry said, well, you can't just sit there. You can't just sit there. Right? You can't just sit there. Children know you can't just sit there, don't they? Henry is our, our oldest son. He loves to play Superman. He has a Superman outfit, Superman cape, running around, Superman to the rescue. Right? He dreams superhero dreams. He can't just sit there. But as we grow up and as we live in this world, we can get beat down. We can get discouraged. And we suppress our desires and our longings to be a part of something grand, to have purpose. And we think maybe, maybe we should just sit here. And it's actually, maybe it's a little safer to just sit here. Tony Campolo tells the story of going to watch the musical Man of La Mancha, which I've never seen. But Tony tells the story of him and his wife going, and as they're watching the musical, there's a husband and wife in front of them, and the husband starts weeping uncontrollably weeping. And the wife begins to yell, John, stop it. Stop it, John. You're exposing yourself. Stop it, John. John was dressed in a suit, having come from work. He was weeping as the actor saying, dream the impossible dream. The longing and the desire to dream for John was deep. And our desires and our longings are deep, yet we all have voices even our own, telling us, stop it. Stop it. You're exposing yourself. Jesus tells this parable to say, dream a dream. You have a grand purpose. There is a king and a kingdom, a great story that we get to be a part of. And we can't just sit here. We need to understand this story that we're to live into if we want to live with the right purpose that God has given us. And so the first thing I want us to see out of this parable is the generosity of the king. The generosity of the king. Jesus proceeded to tell the parable, verse 12. He said, Therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then returned, calling ten of his servants. He gave them ten minas. We need to begin by seeing that this is the king's wealth. It's his kingdom. And he's being generous to give one mina to each servant. We have to begin this morning by seeing that everything that's been given to us that is in our lives is a generous gift from our King. The Christian story begins in the beginning God created. He is the creator. We are his creation. He is the author of this grand story of his kingdom. We are his servants. All that we have is from him. Now the Gospel of Matthew tells a little bit different account of this parable. In Matthew's version, the King gives uh, one of his servants, five talents. He gives another servant, two talents. And he gives the third servant, one. But in Luke's account here, the king gives one mina to each. Now, I hope you follow me here. I think that's important. I think that's important. I heard one commentator mention that in Luke, the one mina, which is given to every servant, is the one life of Christ himself. It's the very gospel. That those who follow the king, those who follow Jesus, are given the very life of Christ by faith. While in Matthew, those, are, those servants are given a variety of talents. 
just as all of us are given a variety of gifts and talents here in the body of Christ. And so our God is generous. He is generous. He gave His only Son to come and live, die a death on the cross, rise victoriously, sit at the right hand of God, promising to come back. It is a gracious and generous gift of Christ Himself to all who will believe, extended to all of us this morning. And our God is also generous and that He has made each of you unique and special. Some of us in this body are hands, some are feet, some are mouths, but everybody here has gifts and talents given to you. And we are in grave danger when we believe in our hearts like most two-year-olds believe, this is mine. It's mine. Two-year-olds don't do anything. They don't earn, they don't purchase, they don't work for anything. Everything is given to them, yet they deeply believe it's mine, right? It is mine. Our salvation in Jesus is not given to us because we were smart enough to believe it, good enough to receive it. Salvation, the life of Jesus, is imparted to us as a free and generous gift from God. The families, your histories that you have, your money, your homes, your apartments, your children, your talents, your jobs, all are because God has authored your story and has generously given everything to you, everything we possess is a generous gift from the king. Catch this. Everything we possess belongs to God. Therefore, everything we possess is to be used for God. Here's our purpose. This is my second point. Stewardship of the king's generosity is our purpose. After the king gives each servant a mina, he tells them in verse 13, engage in business until I come. Engage in business. It's the king's mina. He gives generously, and then he tells the servants, the business that I've been carrying out is the same business you are to engage in with this mina. So the servants are to take the capital that they've been given, invest it, put it to work, use it for business. It is capitalism in one sense, but not in a major way. It's not in a major way in that they are not owners. They're merely stewards of the king's gift to them. Nothing is mine. Nothing is yours, it's His. And He has entrusted to us His life, the gospel, His gifts, His talents to us for His kingdom business. The one mina, the very life of Jesus given to us so that we might invest it as we go about the way He carried out His business. So how did Jesus live His life? He prayed and He blessed. He forgave he discovered neighbors in unlikely places. He ate dinners with sinners and tax collectors, those on the margins. He lived low and he served. He lived a life with the view that everything had to do with his father's business, and then he gave his life in death. This was Jesus' business while on earth. And then he rose victoriously and gives the church the power of the Holy Spirit to carry out his business, his life, that we might pray that we might bless and forgive and love and serve and sacrifice. Jesus' very life given to you so that you can invest His life through your life. There's a woman named Emma Daniel Gray who worked for 24 years cleaning the executive office of the White House. Emma Daniel Gray was a cleaning lady in the White House. 24 years, six different presidents she carried out her task. And every night, while everyone was sleeping, she would clean. And every night for 24 years, she would lay her hand 
on the president's chair and she'd pray for him. That smells like Jesus' life to me, doesn't it? Something Jesus would do. See, for the most part, investing Jesus' life through our life means choosing low places. It means serving without being seen, loving with forgiveness in your heart. I heard one pastor say it can be as practical and it's great as being someone who just keeps their marriage vow. As practical as leading your children to Jesus by keeping your baptism vow. And it's as practical as loving your church by keeping your membership vow. I really am amazed when I think about our church, almost three years old. When I think about our church and I think about over a hundred people who volunteer here on Sunday mornings throughout the month so that we can worship together. People who are here that get here early as service coordinators, get here at 8 o'clock and stay till 1 o'clock. People who usher and put out Bibles in the pews, who set up communion every week, who sit at the welcome and the connect tables. Many people who willingly change my and your children's dirty, poopy diapers every week. Every Sunday, I see people investing their life, and it smells like Jesus. Simple things that we carry about every day. Simple, but they're great because they're about God's business. Now take Matthew's account, that all the servants of the king are given talents and gifts to deploy and invest in God's business, which means, again, your family, your job, your resources, your children, your house, your apartment, your friends, your classmates are given to you for God's business. Past Tuesday night, I went to American Underground's annual party. American Underground, if you don't know, is the entrepreneur hub uh, here in Durham. And, and I, as I was there, I saw many people from our church who work in American Underground. I saw a member of our church leading the whole night. And as I stood there in this cool downtown venue, the 21C Hotel, I thought, man, how amazing that God has blessed our church with these people. With these people with these gifts and these talents to go about creating jobs, stimulating our economy to bless our city. I began to think more. How about someone in our church who, who speaks often for Durham literacy? Because he's been deeply impacted by the program and has now grown in his reading ability. And I thought, wow, what a blessing that person is to our city. I thought about the person who, who loves to bake cookies and started his own business and now uses it to, to, to make money and tell people about Jesus. What a blessing to our city. And I thought about all the doctors and nurses and medical professionals who provide help for all the people in our city. What a blessing they are. And then I thought about the lawyers and the soon-to-be lawyers who are working for justice in our city and the world and those who work in nonprofit, making an impact in Durham and around the world. And then I thought, about all the stay-at-home parents who are raising up a generation of children to know Christ and make Christ known. And I'm three years old as a church, but God has given us gifted and talented people. May the Lord protect us from ever thinking that these gifts and talents are for our own personal gain. They are to be invested in kingdom business. We are merely stewards. You know an easy way to get people uncomfortable? Start talking about money. Maybe you felt it as Sam shared earlier. It's going to be uncomfortable and unnerving to talk about money. Why? Because we think it's mine. We have to understand that all we have is from Him and to Him and for Him. We merely steward. And then giving, as Sam so eloquently put, comes not just about the minimum 10% tithe that the Bible talks about, but it comes about all we own being given to the Lord. Another thing that I think 
in my own life and I think in our church that we can get a little unnerved when we talk about is my time, my schedule. Man, we, we love to guard our time, use our time the way we want. Maybe we give a little here, a little there, not too much, but when we understand stewardship, we see that not just some of our time is the Lord's, but all of it. Therefore, we should pray and consider how we live all of our life. We are to give generously from our money, our time, our talents, our gifts, prayerfully investing it in kingdom business. Some of you maybe have heard the story of the founder of Crew, campus formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ. Bill and Vonette Bright, the founders, I, I heard their story as a freshman in college and was blown away. Bill and Vonette Bright, newly married, living in Los Angeles, California. Bill, a businessman trying to build his own business empire, was drawn to faith in Jesus. Two years into their marriage, Bill and Vonette felt like the Lord was calling them to surrender everything. So in business-like fashion, Bill and Vonette signed a contract in 1951 saying they would give everything, all of their life for the sake of God's kingdom. 24 hours later, God gave them a vision of reaching the world for Christ that became Campus Crusade for Christ that is now crew. And the the impact is remarkable. Millions reached with the gospel all over the world. Two things happened late in the life of Bill and Vinette that continue to amaze me, that blow me away. 1996, he was awarded the Templeton Prize for Religion. One million dollars. He immediately gave all one million away. When he turned 65 and he was able to draw on his retirement, instead of moving to the beach and and retiring, Bill felt that the Lord was telling him to give his retirement away completely to start a training center in Moscow, Russia. And as he inquired about the training center, the exact amount needed to begin it was, was what was in his retirement. And he gave it all away. Blows me away and it scares me to death when I think about people who live with such faith. How could he do such a thing? How could he sign a contract in 1951 and say, we're giving it all away? Not all of us are called to be Bill and Vinette Bright and give everything away. But I deeply believe when we understand and we experience the generosity of our king towards us, it will lead us all to invest as stewards in his kingdom business. Here's the third thing I want to point out is that the wrong view of God can sideline us from his business. A wrong view. The parable, look back at me, with me. The king returns, the first two servants are commended, verse 16. The first comes before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said, well done, good servant, because you've been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. The second one comes saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, you shall be over five cities. But the third servant comes, verse 20, Lord, here's your mina which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. First two servants, with childlike joy, took risks. They invested, but the third was afraid of the master of the king. Therefore, buried the mina in a handkerchief. I grew up going to church uh, from a pretty young age, pretty regularly. Went to Catholic school, K-12. through So that meant I was going to, to church, going to Mass, during the week, multiple times. But much of my life, I grew up viewing God as a taskmaster. That God was going to press his thumb down on me when I messed up. Therefore, much of my life, I was a good boy. I really was. My parents would say to people, he's a good boy. He's a, 
I didn't want to fail God. I was scared to death. I don't want to fail my parents. Again, much in part because I feared the repercussions. I wanted to be a good boy. The, ser- the third servant's trying to be a good boy. He didn't want to disappoint the king. Didn't want to lose the mind. So in fear, he buried it. Had a wrong view of the king, and it sidelined him from doing business. Now, fear is powerfully binding. Fear is binding. Fear of disappointing people, the fear of failure, the fear of God. These things will bind you up. I can attest to it. Have you ever been in a situation before with people that there's a discussion going on and maybe it's a work meeting, a business meeting, maybe it's with family around a table or with friends or neighbors in your street and a conversation begins to happen and, and you really want to say something and, and perhaps it's probably contrary to what's being said and your heart rate starts to, to rise, starts to beat faster, your blood pressure begins to rise. What's going to happen if you say something? And so you opt to play it safe and you don't say anything. That's fear. Fear leads to playing it safe. You know, C.S. Lewis's fictional book, Screwtape Letters, it's a book about the enemy of God, Satan, and his temptation to the followers of God. And Screwtape is the, the tempter. He's tutoring his mentee, Wormwood, on how to tempt and distract Christians from following God. Screwtape says in one part to Wormwood, it's our job, dear Wormwood, to make them play it safe as possible. To make Christians play it safe as possible. In the life of the kingdom, the only thing that matters is what our king thinks about us. And if we think he is severe, if we think he's a taskmaster, we'll play it safe. The third servant is judged. The mina taken from him, given to the other. If you picked up, the, the servants here aren't responsible for the investments. One gets ten back, one gets five back, but both are commended. Well done, good servants. We're not responsible for the outcome of of our investment in kingdom business. God is responsible for that. And there are actually seven other servants that aren't mentioned in the parable. There are ten servants. And we don't know the other seven outcomes. Perhaps they were weak. Perhaps they were timid. But they went about doing God's business. But seven of the 17 verses are given to this third servant who's afraid and who hid his mina. Here's what God will judge. He will ask, have we participated in following him in faith? Have we obeyed and trusted and followed? Have we taken a risk and invested our lives in his kingdom business? See, contrary to Santa, our king doesn't want good little boys and good little girls. Our king wants us to be secured little boys and little girls. And his love towards us, security and his grace that abounds to us, produces risk-taking boys and girls. So how can we be this way? How can we be risk-taking, investing our lives? We have to realize that there was one who was slaughtered, verse 27. One who bore judgment. One who went to the outer darkness. One who gave his life on a cross. When we see that there is one who bore our disobedience, took our sin upon himself, went to the far country of death so that we could have his very life, we rest and we trust that our God and his love towards us will never leave nor forsake us. We're secure. See, the two servants were commended with something all of us long to hear. Well done. Well done. Every child 
every child longs for and rejoices when in particular their father looks them in the eye and says, well done, son. Well done, daughter. The father's commendation comes to us through Jesus. This is my last point. You want that commendation well done? Run to Jesus. Trust Jesus. By faith in Christ, we're given the mina, His very life. And the Father looks at us and He sees Christ. All the righteousness of the Son given to us by faith alone. We have a gracious and a compassionate and loving God. You can trust Him. And when we do, we risk and we invest. This third servant takes the mina, he puts it in a handkerchief and he buries it. when, When I read that, I was jolted back to my childhood Best friend, Adam Preston, and I in our backyard at the age of seven, taking our favorite things, baseball card, our favorite rock that we colored, a a WWF wrestling figure, mementos, right, if you will. We put them in a chest. We buried it in my backyard. And we were going to come back in 20 years, and we were going to remember. Let me tell you, if Jesus and the gospel are purely mementos, you like some of the gifts that God might provide in Christianity, some of, some of the doctrines you think are good, or you think about it every now and then, you want to pull it out and kind of think about Jesus every now and then, you're missing the point of the whole gospel. Amen. We cannot take Jesus and the gospel as a memento. If we do, it will not transform all of our life to be radically invested for kingdom business. You'll play it safe. You'll treat him as nice, and you'll bury it, and it will lead you to a non-participation in kingdom business. Larry Walters, the man who flew in his lawn chair in the mid-40s, was hiking alone in the woods of California. He took a gun, pulled it out, put it to his chest, and killed himself. Shot himself in the heart. With a deep longing still being suppressed in him. A deep desire still in him. Church, we are called to live into the grand story of God's kingdom to dream kingdom dreams, to long for more, to take risk, and to invest everything for His sake. We're nearing the end of Advent. Advent, the same root as the word adventure. Both Advent and adventure are about participating with an anticipation that something's going to happen. And you know what's going to happen? Our King's going to return. And His kingdom will be complete. And until that day we wait, not a waiting where we just sit there, but awaiting with anticipation that something's about to happen, an adventure that we get to live. Therefore, we invest all of our lives in kingdom business, trusting our gracious, loving, and generous King all along the way. Amen? Let's pray. God, I pray that you would call us to know your heart, to know your love and your grace, your disposition towards us, seen And Christ, who took our sin and took our death, took our pain, took took our guilt upon Himself, and now we are ushered as children, sons and daughters, freely loved by You, given the life of Christ and given all of our gifts and talents. So God, would You release us as Your people to invest that in Your kingdom. Here in Durham and around the world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.